Welcome to Shield Maidens, Women of the Norse World, the podcast that celebrates the remarkable women of the Viking Age. From fierce warriors and powerful queens to wise seers and cunning goddesses, these women left an indelible mark on history. Join authors Johanna Wittenberg and K.S. Barton each month as we explore the stories, achievements, and impact of Norse women. Welcome to Shield Maidens, Women of the Norse World. This is episode six, in which Johanna and I discuss Norse sorceresses discovered in archaeology. I'm K.S. Barton. I'm the author of the Norse Family Trilogy, a story in which a young Viking daughter of a Jarl and a Viking warrior are caught in a deadly blood feud between two families. My most recent novel is A Deal with Odin, a historical fantasy of love beyond death, in which a Viking woman journeys into the realm of Norse myth. And with me is Johanna Wittenberg. Hi, Johanna. Hi, Kim. I wanted to say I just finished reading uh, A Deal with Odin, and I really enjoyed it. It was great. Oh, thank you. It was fun to write. <laughs> I bet it was. It was highly recommended. Thank you. Well, so I'm Johanna Wittenberg. I'm the author of the Norse Women series based on the life of Queen Osa, who was a real Norse queen who real, ruled alone for 18 years at the dawn of the Viking Age. And your books are wonderful, too. I highly recommend them. (laughs) So this week we are going to get, or this week, this month, today, (laughs) this episode, we're going to get into Viking sorceresses that have been discovered in archaeology. So in our previous episode, episode five, Johanna and I discussed the Volar. Those are human women who performed magic. So we looked at some of the written sources, like sagas and poems in which these women were mentioned, sources like Eric the Red's saga, Svipstagmal and Hrolf's saga Kraki, and the stories of Gunhild, mother of kings, who was mentioned in several different sources. Now we'd like to look at some of the archaeological evidence that these women actually existed. Not that we didn't believe that beforehand, but now we have some concrete proof. So when we combine these written sources and the archaeology, we get a much fuller picture of who they were and whether the stories tell of sorceresses who were revered or despised, these Norse women were definitely a force to be reckoned with. Yes, they were. Um, The burials that have been found indicate that the Velur were feared, venerated, and held in very high status. Um, the Viking world abounds with burials of women who have the attributes of the Velar. Chief among these are the staffs, which we already discussed to a certain degree. But there are other items that also indicate the profession. There's charms. They're made of silver, bronze, or other metals, and they're very common in women's graves. There's miniature staffs, miniature swords, spearheads. And, of course, the charms of the Valkyrie maidens. One very odd charm that appears in women's graves throughout Scandinavia is that of a miniature chair. And they're usually um, round, called a cub chair, uh, which is a chair that's fashioned from a stump. It's just basically the whole round piece of wood is there, and it's got the back carved and the seat carved. uh, And they're highly decorated. So most of them are round and they have a low curved back. They're decorated with carvings of flowers or other things. And there's also an image of a woman seated in a chair like this on a Gotlandic picture stone. So only one chair charm has been found that is square with a curving back. And this resembles the Oseberg chair. In other words, the chair that was found in the Oseberg burial. It's the only Viking chair that has ever been found intact. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And it was square, just like the this one charm. And it was built of posts, you know, four posts and boards. And it has a curve, curved back. The sides of the seat were perforated as if the seat were latticed with some kind of cord or rope. And um, I'm sure there was a cushion placed on the seat and it's, seems reminiscent of Thorbjörg's uh, feather cushion in Eric the Red's saga. The back of this chair was painted and the remains of a of a 
image of a gripping beast that looked kind of like a dragon has has been sketched on it. There were sketches of it when it was first found. The question is, could this have been a high seat or a chair of prophecy? Another place where we find this chair is in the Lewis Chessmen, which were carved much later. But it shows kings, queens, and bishops, and they're seated on chairs that are very much like the Oseberg chair. So it's suggesting that maybe this was a throne of royalty, or at least a very high-status individual. Could have been a vulva, could have been a queen, or both. Odin's throne in mythology, Lidskjalf, is the ultimate high seat. And from there, the occupant can look out over the whole world. So, Kim, you can start us off with this burial uh, from Fyrkat, Denmark. Yeah. Actually, I want to step back for a second. When you said you mentioned the amulets and of Valkyrie, I actually bought myself a replica of one. Oh, there wonderful. I'll, I'll post a picture on like our Facebook page or something. I'm showing it to Johanna right now. She's I got, love that one. Yeah, That's it's, my favorite one because it's three-dimensional. Yeah. And it's the one we use for our logo on our on our podcast and everything. So if you take a look at our at our logo, it's it's the little Valkyrie or Shield Maiden. There, nobody's entirely sure if she's a human woman or a Valkyrie. Either way, she's very cute. And she even the back of the one I have, she has her uh, long hair and there's work on her dress. So it's very cool. Yeah. So even us modern women like our little pendants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do magic with her, though. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also uh, the when you mentioned Odin's seat and the occupant can look out over the whole world. I know I've mentioned Tolkien before, but there's uh the seat, I don't remember the name of it. It's Frodo sits on it and he can see oh. like what's going on up in the north and like what the orcs are doing. And that's when he gets the vision of Sauron's eye. He's sitting on a, on a, it's on a raised platform made of stone and there's a high seat on it where he can, he's far seeing. So I'm sure Tolkien must have was gotten that, that Elrond's seat or was that Oh, I can't remember. It's yeah, I, it, it just came to me. Now. And yeah, I'm going to go look it up too. <laughs> so Either yeah. Elrond or Galadriel. I can't remember which one now. Yeah, or it could have been like the kings, uh, the old kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the oof, Now I can't remember what they're called. I can't remember. The ones that Aragorn is derived from or his ancestors. Anyway. Right. So yeah, yeah, that that may I'm sure Tolkien got that from Norse mythology because he got so much from Norse mythology. Okay, that was my little side trip. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> there's a really uh, interesting burial. It's in Fyrkat, Denmark, which is it's near a fort. And this burial was discovered in the 1950s, and it was of a high status woman who was buried in about 980 981. And this is near a ring fortress. And if you look up like a ring fortress in Denmark, you can actually, they've, they, they, you can see where the rings go around, like it's all green, but you can see the ring around where it would have been, where the fortress would have been. So this particular woman, she was dressed in blue and red and her dress was adorned with gold thread. So similar to other medieval societies, the Viking world only wealthy people wore such colorful clothes in general. And when you add in the gold thread that she had on her dress, it really indicates her high status. So she was laid out in the body of a horse-drawn carriage, like just the wood part of the carriage, but there were no horses with her, at least none that were found, Uh, even though there's been other burials where there's been horses buried with the women. And she was buried with several items like she had two bronze bowls that came from Central Asia. So that's, a, yeah, that's a long way. And it's just, I'm really loving all the uh, the scholarship that's been going on lately of, of people studying the Vikings who went east, you know, all the road down through what we know, what is now Russia and Ukraine and all the way down to what is now Istanbul, even into like Persia and stuff coming from all the way from places like India. I mean, it, it it was quite remarkable. 
she also was, and this, I don't know why this particular thing interested me so much. She was wearing a toe ring. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only mention of toe rings we've. Yeah. I've never seen it anywhere else. And I was like, oh, where did she get that? How did she get the idea to wear a toe ring? Where did she get it from? Did she get it? Did somebody give it to her? Ugh, I'm just. What a story that could be. I'm so fascinated by this toe ring and this woman who was wearing it. Anyway, <laughs> I guess that just that like shows you the mind of a of, an, of a writer, like that one teeny tiny detail, and like all of a sudden a complete story starts to form. Like, what if? <laughs> so all of these things indicate her high status. You know, the way she was dressed, how she was buried, the the items that came from far away. But then there are items that signify that she was a, a seeress or sorceress or whatever you want to call them. She had a metal staff, as Johanna mentioned, and she also had a small purse that contained henbane seeds. So when thrown into a fire in the right proportions, henbane can produce a hallucinogenic effect. So too much henbane can kill you, but if you get it right, <laughs> it can it can it can be a hallucinogenic. And so women who performed magic, maybe to, you know, go into a trance, see into the future. Maybe she was using some kind of hallucinogenic. I think there's even speculation that maybe berserkers were doing that too. And yes, that's what put, put in that, that what gave them their, their berserk rage, but we don't know. Nope, I, I, I'm assuming that that's probably what she was using it for. And we do know from Eric, the red saga that Thorbjörg. Thorbjörg, the vulva, needed a lot of special items to be able to see into the future. And maybe Henbane was one of those. So this particular woman was also buried with a box, a small little box that contained owl pellets and small bird and animal bones, which were probably also used for magic. I mean, that seems like a very common thing. Kind of the eye of Newt. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like Macbeth's witches, you know, she would have her cauldron and throw in, okay, I want three owl pellets and the wing bones of this bird. (laughs) And she also was wearing a belt buckle and inside of it was white lead. So this was used to maybe paint her face. Maybe she painted her face for some kind of ritual. I don't know what else. Maybe the lead, unless she ate it. (laughs) Oh, I hope <laughs> and, not. and it made her go into a trance or something. I like to imagine her, you know, painting her face somehow. And then, <laughs> well, I have this image of her with like the white lead on her face and maybe some kind of elaborate, like a, a crown, like made out of antlers or something, her braids done elaborately in her white and her, I mean, her red and blue clothes. And yeah, it's pretty striking. Very impressive. Yes. Yes. Impressive. Well, in addition to all this witchy stuff, she was also buried with some traditional women's items, a spindle and whorl and scissors. But as we've talked about before, weaving goes hand in hand with magic in the Norse world. So the spindle and whorl could, and scissors, you know, maybe there was that magic of, you know, maybe cutting someone's fate or who knows, it, it, it's just also interwoven. Pardon my pun. (laughs) (laughs) That they could have just been traditional women's things or part of her, you know, magic or both. So she the this series of feared cat is is an example of a high status woman who was buried with an enormous amount of respect and care. And we've seen this before when we did our episode on archaeology. Was that episode two or three? I think it was. Too, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, too. I, yeah, I think you're right. You know, like much like the women in the Oseberg burial or Birka BJ581, you know, just a tremendous amount of care went into what they did, how they arranged her, what they buried her with, how they buried her. So she was clearly an important person in her community. And then you add in that the burial is near the Fear Cat Ring Fortress, which was built by Harold Bluetooth, who is a very famous and powerful Danish Viking king from the 10th century. Only a woman very highly regarded would have been buried that close to the fortress. So, and as we discussed with BJ581, she was buried near, near a fort as well. Perhaps, partly for protection. Protection. Yeah. Yeah. 
so she this was an example kind of like the in Eric the Red saga of a of a woman who was magic who was very well respected and revered. But then we get to another place in Denmark, Gerdrup, where there's a very different burial. So in this one, the woman was not revered. She was despised, despised and or feared. This particular burial was excavated in 1981 in Gerdrup, Denmark. And it is of a mother and son who are lying side by side. Eventually they did it. At first they didn't realize it was a mother and son until they were able to do some DNA testing. And then they realized that they were related and that by their ages, they assume they were mother and son. So the son was buried with his ankles crossed and his knees bent outward. Like imagine if you're sitting on a floor and you kind of put your feet together and let your, your uh, knees splay outward. That's kind of how his knees look. And then his neck had been broken and his head was twisted at a little bit of a weird angle. And this all leads archaeologists to believe that he'd been tied up and hanged before he was buried. I'm not sure, though, why they would have left his legs splayed unless he kind of froze that way. They may have buried him sitting up. Oh, yeah. That is fairly, fairly common. And it's just a thought. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good thought. So that was the son. And the mother's skeleton was weighed, she was laying out flat, but she was weighed down by three large stones. And she was also buried with a spear or a staff or something like that. It could have been the staff of Osiris. Seems likely. Seems likely. And this could also explain why she was weighed down by the stones. And maybe they weighed her down because they were afraid she might come back. Because the Vikings had a tremendous fear of people coming back to haunt them after death. Yes, they did. <laughs> they had some very elaborate uh, rituals and things that they did to prevent that. And we'll talk about that in October, which will be fun to talk about some of the beliefs of what happens after death and zombie-like creatures and all kinds of those creepy things. And then, you know, we're asked, why were they buried together? Why were they... Was, was you know, did she die of natural causes? And then they killed him because he, as a sacrifice, there was a theory that maybe he had a disability of some sort and couldn't survive without his mother and they maybe killed him. But I don't, that one doesn't explain to me why he was hanged and tied up. Yeah. That's very (laughs) far-fetched. Yeah. I mean, he must've done something that they, if, if it was just a sacrifice, you'd think they would have just like used a, a knife or a, sacrificial sword or something and not tied him up and hanged him that's there like a criminal's sagas. death yeah there are other sagas the Lexdala saga talks about a whole family of sorcerers and they're all killed but um you know it's a family thing it's like a family business right <laughs> it is so <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. And it's not unusual for these Viking graves to have more than one person in them. There was one, I think it was in, was it Repton, England, where it was like a man. And then I think they discovered he was his son and they'd both been killed in battle and they were buried in the same grave side by side. very recently. Yeah. So there is, there could be a story in a saga that sheds some light on this particular burial in Denmark. So this saga is the, and please forgive me if I butcher this name, <laughs> the Air Bigya saga. Sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the Icelandic sagas. So it might seem strange that, you know, a burial in Denmark and an Icelandic saga are related, but, you know, these Vikings, they got around and their stories got around. So it's not entirely impossible or even improbable. So this was written down in the 13th century. And I think it could shed some light on the burial in Denmark. So like many of the Icelandic sagas, this one has a large host of characters. (laughs) Many of them are named Thor something. Thorstein, Thor Bjorg, you know, and, and it can get Thorfinn. It can get kind of confusing who's who, who did what to who. And I'm not going to go over that. It was mostly feuding over land and livestock, which is often what a lot of these family dramas and the Icelandic sagas are about. So, but the story of 
This mother and son, Katla and Odd, involves horse theft and a group of men acting like vigilantes to solve a problem. So at one point, it's kind of complicated, but at one point, one man's mother's hand is cut off and these men try to figure out who did the deed. And then all fingers point to Odd. Oh, no pun intended again. <laughs> I didn't even think about it until I said it out loud. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm full of it today. Okay. So this posse travels to Odd's mother's house where they find her sitting on a dais on a platform, spinning yarn on her distaff. So right away, I'm thinking she's on a platform, she's spinning, there's some magic involved. Yeah. So Katla knows who these men are and that they're coming and she knows they're after Odd. So she cloaks him with magic so the men can't see him. She tells her women who are spinning with her to just sit there and be quiet. And she's going to do all the talking. The men burst in and they demand that they she give them odd, but she just innocently tells them, oh, odd's not here. <laughs> You're perfectly welcome to look around, you know, search everywhere. She even has one of her women give the men the key to the only locked door in the house. And so she just freely says, you know, please, please look around my house. My son is not here. They basically ransack the house. They find no trace of odd. So they leave. But they don't get far before Arkle, the leader and the smartest of the bunch. I think he's a priest. <laughs> There's a little bit of a push and pull in this particular saga between the pagan ways and the Christian ways. So I think Arkle is a priest. And once they get a certain distance away, he wonders if Katla hasn't performed some kind of magic. And then he thinks, what if that distaff that was in her hand was really her son, Odd? Because <laughs> that's probable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he must so, have been skinny. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this, you know, these men head back to Katla's house. She knows again that they're coming and she tells Odd to go outside and get down on his hands and knees. So when the men return, they find Katla out front of her house, stroking the hair and beard of a goat. Once again, they ransack her place, don't find Odd. Then they look for her distaff, which she has blatantly left sitting on a bench. And it's just a distaff. No Odd. So they head out again. And once again, once they get a certain distance from the house, Arnkel says, hey, what if that goat was Odd? <laughs> So I guess they had to get a certain ways away so her magic didn't yes them anymore. I think so. It had to have been. Yes. <laughs> so they head back to Katla's house. And in the meantime, she tells Odd to get under the rubbish heap. Oh. So, and actually, you know, the rubbish heap is was like a really important thing for archaeologists. You know, they find out a lot about, <laughs> about you know, old, you know, medieval their towns. Diet. And, <laughs> their diet, you know. If they had like parasites and stuff. Anyway, so a rubber sheep is not an unusual thing to have, you know, outside your house. So she tells, Katla tells Odd to go get under the rubber sheep. So this time when the men show up, she's back at her dais spinning. She's got her distaff in her hand. And she, now she gives them a hard time when they burst in. And she's like, man, these visits are just coming hard and fast now. Like, what is with you guys? She once again agrees to let them search the house. All they see is the pig on the rubbish heap, which they ignore. So once again, they walk away only to realize that they've been tricked. The pig was odd. <laughs> <laughs> the oddest pig I've ever seen. Right? <laughs> this time, though, things are changed. They're, they're, they're met by Gerid, one of the men's mother, and she also knows magic. She's a very practiced sorceress, I guess. She knows what she's doing. And Katla knows that she can't trick this other sorceress like she has the men. So she simply hides Odd under the floor beneath her seat on the dais. So it's interesting that the storyteller in this saga made a note. Like, I don't, it's not really, what they're wearing isn't really described until we get to Gerrit. And she's wearing a blue cloak, 
which is reminiscent of the blue cloak that Thorbjorg was wearing in Eric the Red Saga. So maybe that was meant to signify or symbolize her ability to do magic. I don't know, but I thought it was interesting that he made, he purposely mentioned the blue cloak. Anyway. There are some other sagas that talk about it too. And I, I'm going to have to go back and look at them because they're not always magic. Sometimes they mean that they're out for blood and I don't know oh. which one I, I just have, I'll have to research that one. Interesting. Very okay. Interesting. <laughs> so this time when they all go back to Kotla's house, n- there's no words exchanged. She doesn't say anything. The men don't. Gerard bursts in the door and throws back her cloak puts a sealskin bag over Katla's head and ties it around her neck. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't sure, like, did she do that? Because maybe there was something about Katla's eyes. Like if she yes. saw them, she could perform the magic. Something about covering up. Oops, it just hit my mic. Something about covering up her face was important. There's something like that in the Lux Dalla saga too, when um, Katko's family one of his sons, they tie a bag over his head. And that's so that, and it, and and there's a tear in the bag and he can see, and that was a threat. So uh-huh. yes, them not being able to see is a thing, but I'm not, I'm not sure what. Almost like the evil eye or something. Yeah. I mean, I could see them also like maybe putting something over her mouth so she couldn't say anything too, but they don't. They just, co- she covers up her head and, and ties it around her neck. Gerid knows immediately that Odd is under the floorboards, so they break it open and they find Odd. They bind poor Odd and drag him to a place where they hang him. So while Odd was at his end, poor guy, he's probably kicking and screaming, Arnkel berated him and says, you know, it's your mother's fault that you've come to this sticky end, Odd. Oh, you know, of course. She's wicked and evil. And then Katla... She's not willing to let Arnkel have the last word. So she speaks up and admits that, yeah, she's the one who cut off that woman's hand and she is the cause of all of this. And she curses Arnkel that he'll suffer more from being his father's son than Odd ever suffered from being her son. Well, I guess that's wow. the last. Yeah. I love that she got the last word in and she cursed him. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, you know, the men can't have this. They take her away and they stone her to death, which is sad. But I thought it was kind of fun that in you know very fairy tale fashion, the men go to her house three times and she tricks them three times. And it reminded me of um, is it Gun Gunleg, the witch in uh, Norse mythology that the Aesir gods try to burn her three times oh, and three times uh, she escapes. No, it's it's um, Gulvig. Gulvig, right, 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 right. Gold lust. Gold, or something yes, like that. that's right. Gulvig. I was close. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of that a little bit. Like, yeah. The, the a lot magic... of threes, like you said before. Yeah. The magic works three times. So anyway, yeah. So, you know, nobody knows for sure if this story was inspired by the the burial of the mother and son in the Gerdrup grave, but, you know, it certainly has a lot of similarities and it can certainly shed some light on maybe what had happened and why this mother and son were buried together. Maybe they did think she was a sorceress of some kind and killed, maybe he had something to do with it and they killed them both and put the rocks on her so she couldn't come back. It's quite a coincidence if it's not the case. And I think it's a neat story also to show how the magic worked, how they believed the magic worked. And it yeah, had to be probably one of our best examples. Yeah. And how it had to be, you know, they had to be in the vicinity of Katla or her house, you know, and once they got a certain distance, the magic wasn't working anymore. You know, they threw the bag over her head. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting story. It's very interesting. Well, um, there's several burial grounds, um, usually near marketplaces um, where we find a lot of possible sorceresses buried. Um, one of them is Kaupang, uh, which is in Vestfold. There's actually several of them, and the word means marketplace or trading port. But there's one in Vestfold, Norway, which is uh, was very busy, uh, and it was overseen by the hall at Skiringsal. And they've actually excavated that hall as well as this market area, which was teeming with people, and it's surrounded by cemeteries. It's also very close to the Oseberg burial ship, and I'll get into that 
uh, in this discussion too. But anyway, the port was surrounded by cemeteries. And um, in his book, The Viking Way, which I highly recommend, the archeologist Neil Price describes an especially complex boat burial. And there are actually illustrations of these burials in his book too, that I really strongly recommend. So in this one particular one, a man in the mid to late ninth century, which is when um, Skiering Saul was really at its most active, he was buried laying on his left side and he was pressed up against a large stone. Uh, he wore a cloak and he was covered with a fine cloth, a finely woven cloth, and he was surrounded by tools. So he was somebody of status because you don't get buried that way unless you're of a fairly high status. So then maybe 50 years later, there another burial was placed right on top of him. A boat that was about 30 feet in length was laid on top of this man's grave, and it was aligned with his body. And three people were buried in this boat. A man and a woman lay in the bow, and they were head to head. So the man was, was the farthest forward, and his feet pointed towards the prow. Uh, and the woman was, oh, no, I'm sorry, the woman was forward most, and her feet were pointing towards the prow, and the man was behind her. So this woman was aged around 40 to 50 years old, and she was very expensively dressed. And oddly enough, an infant lay wrapped in her skirt. And she was probably too old to give birth. So this may have been her grandchild, possibly. Uh, but she was surrounded by female grave goods, including jewelry and a weaving sword. So the man is buried just aft of her. So he's almost amidships and his feet are pointing towards the stern. So the two of them are head to head and they don't talk about how old he was, but he was surrounded by weapons. But oddly enough, a frying pan was placed on his midriff, like his solar plexus. And also two spindle whorls had been laid carefully on his sword scabbard. Mm. And what that means is really hard to say. Did he do magic? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And of course, no idea of how they died either. So then the, there was a horse amidship just after these two people. He was wearing a bridle. The horse was wearing a bridle. And there were other animals scattered all throughout the grave as if they were sacrificed over the grave, which is a common pretty common thing with ship burials. In the stern, a single woman was buried and she was sitting up, leaning against a shield, or there was a shield behind her. So it looked like, you know, that was her backrest. And being buried sitting up is pretty common motif. It's possible that she was holding the tiller and steering the ship. The oh, boat. I love that visual. Yes. They don't know for sure because it's all disintegrated, but that is the suspicion very strongly. On her lap was, again, an imported bronze bowl from the Middle East. And runes were scratched on it that said, in the hand basin. And inside the hand basin, the bowl, there was a dog's head. And this dog's body was at her feet. In her, on her left was an iron staff. And there was a big rock on the staff. So it bears an awful lot of similarities to the burial you just talked about where the stones were placed on the woman. But there's others that are like that. But while we're in the vicinity of Oseberg, uh, we've talked about the Oseberg ship burial before. So it was in the early to mid 9th century, and it's a burial of two women on a ship. There were many animals sacrificed in this grave, too. I believe there were 13 horses. Wow. Um, as well as dogs and many other animals, birds. Uh, it also includes, though, this Oseberg tapestry, which I think I mentioned before. And this is one of the only pictures we have of life during this time period. So in one uh, picture on this tapestry, there's a tree that has what looks like nine men hanging from it. Um, while women bearing swords and with their hands, arms raised, 
they're they're walking under the tree and it looks like they might be performing some kind of a ritual. There's other places on the tapestries, and I think we talked about this with the shield maiden, where there's women who are armed with shields, sometimes spears, and they're wearing costumes. It looks like wearing a boar costume or a bird costume. There's also men in animal costumes. So this all talks about magical rituals. Of course, there is the one story um, about the um, Uppsala temple where they had a tree where they hung men every nine years. So that's actually a a historical record. Um, Anyway, so that seems to be what this is depicting. There's also an iron lamp in the grave and there's an a woman bearing an iron lamp in the tapestry and she seems to be leading at least part of the procession there's a pouch containing cannabis seeds that really sounds an awful lot like those henbane seeds mm-hmm. and there's also a, there was a, the grave had been robbed in the 10th century maybe 100 years after but there was a one chest that had not been opened and inside there was a wooden staff. There was no metal staff found, but this was a wooden staff and it was a piece of wood that had been split, like a branch that had been split. Then it had been bound back together Hmm. and it had been laboriously planed and uh, carved and polished. So they're thinking this might be a magic wand and there might be more of, though there may have been more of them, but they just didn't last they disintegrated whereas the metal staffs did survive i wonder if the i wonder if the grave robbers didn't disturb that because they knew what was in there and they knew better than to get those staffs out of the box (laughs) because in a lot of these uh magical sorceress burials there are these wooden chests that have magical implements in them uh there's a lot of commonalities and i'll mention a lot of them so the other one is, so in the Oseberg ship, they found, in addition to this tapestry, they found an elaborately carved wagon or cart that I've mentioned before. And there are carts on the tapestry being driven. We can't tell if they're by men or women, but it kind of looks like it might be a woman driving them. And we don't know what's inside these carts because they have covers over them. But there are some... Uh, there's some conjecture that there were the figures of the gods and goddesses like Frey and Frey, Freya and Frere were in those carts, possibly. Hmm. Throughout Scandinavia, in addition to ship burials, wagon burials seem to be associated particularly with high-status women. So you're talking about the one in Firkat, but there are others. Another thing about wagons is the Roman historian Tacitus is writing in his writing Germania. He wrote of a sacred procession in which the goddess Nerthus rode in a wagon. So there's thoughts that this could be part of that ritual, but we have no idea. We really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have, um, you know, in Volsunga saga, we've got Brunild who rides to hell in a wagon. Oh yeah, that's right. So, you know, this that it's a it's a form of transportation mm-hmm. to hell. Nobody knows about these are just associations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but when you get enough of those associations, when you have things in the stories and the mythology and the archaeology, and they all kind of piece and, and you get writings from people who are looking at this from the outside, you can kind of piece together some neat stories. Yes, you can. It's it's so it's so fascinating. So there is a woman who was buried in Hordaland, Norway, in a place called Veka, and her burial was in the 10th century sometime. And she was buried in a large wooden box that may have been a wagon bed, like the sorceress that you're ta- you talked about. And she was buried on a rise overlooking a fjord. Her box was buried under dirt, and then a stone cairn was laid over that and her burial contained brooches bead necklaces a coin from king offa's reign which is quite a bit before this quite a bit before the 10th century Uh, so it was kind of a an 
heirloom of some mm-hmm. kind. And then she had other sewing and personal items, a sickle, and there was a chest in this. She lay on her side and she had an iron staff held between her knees, which is very odd. There's so many different things that you can draw from that, but it kind of reminds you a little bit of a witch riding on a broomstick. Mm. So I don't know, you know, but there's other <laughs> things, there's other connotations you can draw sure. from that. But the main thing is that she was buried in what maybe it was a wagon bed. Hmm. With a box. Yep. It was a wooden box. And um, there's uh, several of those. So on on the uh, east coast of Norway in Rogaland, which is a few, the fjord area and it's near Stavanger, there's a place called Gausel, which I believe I've mentioned before. And it's now a suburb of Stavanger, but it lies on an inland fjord. And there are many high status women's graves. I think we talked about this before in our in our um, store, our earlier one of our earlier ones. Here, the high status women's graves outnumber men's two to one. Wow. Yeah. And it's the only place in Norway that's like that. The area also has the highest concentration of Irish metalwork in Scandinavia. So the Gausel Cemetery is very high status. It has a number of boat burials. That none of the bones have survived. So the graves were assigned sex based only on grave goods. Mm. So, you know, whether there were weapons or blacksmith tools, those are men, supposedly. Don't know that for sure. But the Gauzo Queen's grave was designated as female due to the jewelry and the household equipment that were with her. And her grave was probably the most wealthy of all the graves. There was a bridled, severed head of a horse that lay at her feet. And there was a highly corroded iron staff and also an iron lamp similar to the one in the Oseberg burial and Mm -hmm. on the Oseberg tapestry. The grave and its location implied very high status and possibly the ownership of inherited property. So then we go to Birka, Sweden, uh, and there are there's a huge cemetery there with a lot of high status graves. So Birka in the Viking Age was a major trading port, uh, especially with the East. And so they, and that's where BJ 581, the the burial that turned out to be a woman commander that we talked about earlier. That's where this was found. But there are quite a few um, graves here that contain staffs and other items that suggest they're the graves of Valor. I'll just list them. These are all from um, Neil Price's Viking Way. So there's BJ 660. It's the wealthy grave of a woman that contains an iron staff with a bronze knob. And the bronze knob is something that was mentioned in Eric the Red Saga. This woman wore a silk headband embroidered with silver thread, and she had brooches, the twin brooches, and a necklace with a cross, which is kind of odd, but it could have been loot. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) And we don't know for sure what a cross meant to them. Right. Uh, Another grave is a cremation grave, but it just contained an iron staff. Mm. There's one, a famous one called BJ 834, where a man and a woman were interred together. The man was apparently seated on a chair. The chair is not there anymore, but he was seated on something. And the woman was on his lap and they were hmm. chained together to the Ooh, chair. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And behind them was a staff that was leaning against the grave wall next to a sword. So it was a couple. And there were crampons, which were sometimes referred to as hell shoes. So we don't know about that. Mm -hmm. They were also used on ice, Mm -hmm. to walk on ice. There were two horses buried with them. And the most interesting thing about it was a spear was cast over the grave as if they were being dedicated to Odin. Very interesting because Odin is also the god who is often associated with both warfare and magic. And he was the only male god that we know of who actually performed Sather, the 
that more female type of magic. So that's that's a super fascinating grave. It really <laughs> is. It really is. And I why were they chained together? Huh. Yeah. So and maybe they were even executed this way. Yeah. yeah. Wow. No sign of how they died or that's not, not known at this point, hmm. you know, um, but she probably was a vulva. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the staff and the sword, very evocative. Interesting. Right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, in this book, the Viking way, there is an illustration of this grave and it's okay. uh, as well as quite a few others. BJ 845 is a chamber grave and it's under a mound and a woman was buried sitting in a chair. Again, the chair is missing, but she was sitting on something and she was facing east. She wore a silk headband embroidered with silver thread, just like the woman in BJ 660. And an iron staff was across her knees. Uh, and this grave also contained an empty iron box mm. that was highly ornamented. Another thing that shows up in some of these graves are pig jawbones. Mm. Very odd. Well, we know that pigs were sacred to Freya and that they were a favored meal of the Vikings. But something about these burials seemed to suggest sorcery. BJ 959 is the grave of a woman who had been decapitated. Mm. Her head was under her right arm and a pig's jawbone was placed across her severed neck. Wow. Yeah. That there was somebody her. really thought about that before. Yeah. Some kind of ceremony. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And what her head is under her Under arm. her right arm. And so wow. this might have something to do with being able to walk because there's stories about decapitating a drowger mm-hmm. so that they that was the only way to kill them i don't know hmm. my guess is that decapitating her may have been to keep her from walking yeah yeah i don't know but there are other graves there's there are three cremation graves in Birka, uh bj 84 86 and 210 and they also even though they were cremation graves after the cremation, pig jawbones were placed over the cremation. So the pig jawbones were not burned. They mm. were just laid on top of the ashes. So, oh my gosh, um, my mind is spinning trying to figure out what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. It's so specific. It's yes. not just like, here's an animal's jawbone that we will throw over here to do whatever. No, it's it was, a pig's were, jawbone. And they were definitely laid in the grave yeah. and they, after the cremation had taken place. So, huh. you know, this is Frey and Freya both were... Um, associated with pigs yeah and of course they were associated with magic and safe so i don't know anyway it's all very very interesting so then we it's also in sweden we've got a a grave in klinta which is on oland which is an island um and a man and a woman were cremated together in a boat and they were lying on a bear skin there were animals sacrificed and it is suggested that these animals were the, all the ones that were present on the farm. Mm. So that reminds us of the dish of hearts that Fjordbjörg ate in Eric the Red's saga. Mm. So even though it's far away, it's still the that ritual mm-hmm. of all the animals on the farm. And after these, this couple was cremated, their ashes, this is very involved, but their ashes were separated, washed, and then they were buried separately. Huh. So some of the ashes did get mixed up, but apparently it was pretty obvious that they had been sep- re-separated. Weird. Yes. So the woman was her ashes were buried in a pit, and an iron her an iron staff was laid across it, like her vulva wand. Wow. And the staff had a model of a building, a house or a temple on the top of it. Huh. It's kind of crude, but it's definitely a building. Was it made out of metal? Yes, it was iron. Okay. And, and yes, the, the building was also made of iron. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it, that's very, very odd. But it, it seems 
that there were charms that were possibly hung from the staffs because some of them have perforations and rings on them Mm -hmm. where charms can be. So they might've waved them over people, for example, to heal them. And maybe they shook them to Mm -hmm. like get, get the spirits attention or something. Exactly. And um, that's something that was in, in Neil Price's book. It goes on at length and I won't get too far into this, but he did a lot of, um, examination of the Sami sorcery. And the idea is that a lot of the Norse sorcery came from the Sami or vice versa. And they did that. They did have wands and they did wave them over sick Mm -hmm. people to try to heal them. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into that because it gets, (laughs) this could go on for a long time. (laughs) So here's another, another um, Gotlandic uh, burial. It's a place called Aska, and it's in Ostergotland. It's a rich burial of a woman, uh, and it contained an Arab bronze jug. Also an ornate horse harness, an iron staff, a silver pendant, pendant of a man's head, and another one. This one's pretty famous. It's a pendant of a woman wearing a triple stand, strand necklace. And her hands are folded across what looks like a pregnant belly. Um, And she appears to be seated on a platform, Mm -hmm. a Sather platform, perhaps. So there's some conjecture that this could be the goddess Freya. And that would be in keeping with this burial, because it definitely looks like the burial of a vulva. I wonder if there's some significance to these bronze bowls that have come from (laughs) Asia. Yeah, well, there's huh. the one that has the dog's head in it, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, they must have, or it could be for catching the blood, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they talk about catch when they sacrifice animals, they catch the blood in a bowl, and then they sprinkle, use the first sprinkle branches to sprinkle yeah. people. I guess I always kind of assumed that those bowls would be made out of like, something else, like stone, well, or, you know, <laughs> they would have been, yeah, but if they imported some, yeah, I guess if they were high status, that would yeah. be something to, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, exactly. As you mentioned, you talked about um, Katla and her son. And then you also talk about the burial where the mother and son were buried together. That could be what this story is based on. So there, there were male safe practitioners. Odin is the most famous of them. But these men did not seem to re- be regarded with the same respect as females. Their burials and representations in the saga suggest something shameful. And the word for that is ergi. And it is, also has homosexual connotations. In the Locusena, Loki calls Odin's practice of Sather perverted. Uh, so this all brings up the subject of gender roles and gender fluidity especially regarding magic, because there were definitely laws later on about cross-dressing. It was against the law in in Christian Iceland, for sure, because it's written in the law books. But uh, there's a, a figurine that was found of a figure being a, someone dressed in women's clothing and sitting on a throne. But that figure is one-eyed, And that figure is flanked by ravens and wolves. And it's strongly suggested that this is Odin, who's practicing Sather. But he's dressing. Yeah, I was just looking at a picture of that figurine. Actually, I still have it on my computer. And what I think was kind of interesting is that the cap that the figure is wearing, and then there's no braids like often these figures of valkyries or women or whatever they often have even the one i was talking about earlier she has a long braid in the back or they have or a long ponytail almost so they have braids that come down but this one has nothing this one looks more like a man honestly or Mm -hmm. well yeah and the cap is kind of unusual and he's kind of burly (laughs) yeah kind of kind of wide yeah it's yeah, but you can see that there's some kind of a you know two animals on the back, 
there's two birds on the on the arms of the throne, but it's very clearly a woman's dress. And then there's the the beaded necklaces, but it really it's such a fascinating little find. It's what only like a few millimeters tall yeah. and it's it it's, it's super tiny, but it's so fascinating. I I think I think it's Odin. Even though I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's Freya. And I'm like, mm. no, it's I, really... it doesn't it doesn't look like any representation of women that we we typically see in these little figurines. And the missing eye is generally taken to be Odin. Right. However, there are some sources that talk about Frey and Freya sitting in Odin's throne. Ah. But you know, sometimes all together. But on the other hand, this, you know, the missing eye really makes you think of Odin. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's uh it's tantalizing. It really is. Oh, and then also there's the last thing about male practitioners. Harold Fairhair hated male practitioners of Sather. His wizard son, who was of a Finnish mother or a Sami mother, his son was a wizard and he had a big following. And Harold Fairhair had him and his following all put to death by chaining them so that the tide would come over them. Drown That's them. brutal. It is pretty awful. But anyway, that was how they looked at male practitioners. It was considered unnatural. I just, you know, you going through all of those burials, there were so many staffs, so many simple similarities between these women. I love the ones where there's a woman and a man buried together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and then you put that with the, the saga of Eric the Red and what she was wearing and what she had on her person and her staff and everything. Yeah, it, it just, it's, they had to have been sorceresses. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's really, it's very intriguing and tantalizing. And <laughs> there's so many pieces to put together in the puzzle. Yeah. And then there's like runes written on things and, you know, carved in things. Well, another thing that was very interesting is that it was when Scandinavia Christianized and outlawed magic that women lost their status. So it seems that women's status really um, relied upon magic. And that was what they were able to use for power. It was their Mm -hmm. only power. And once they lost that, you know, they became subjugated. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a that's an interesting thesis. That makes a lot of sense. And they were persecuted, of course, throughout yeah. Europe. Um, that's when they became labeled as witches. And uh, certainly, the men still believed in witchcraft. But oh, they, yeah, even like what we saw with Gunhilda, they they believed she was doing witchcraft. Absolutely, only it wasn't allowed for her when it was allowed for Eagle. But... Yeah, right. Well, and even even in the um, you know in the Renaissance period. Witchcraft was still very pervasive and yes. very much believed in. You know, I was just that mention of Egil is is interesting because he's considered like some big Icelandic hero, right? They, he's like <laughs> so this ultimate Viking. Man. <laughs> he's like this ultimate Viking guy, and yet he performed magic. Yeah. Well, so did Odin. Yeah. So it's interesting that Egil would be would be held in such high regard, I even know. though he did magic. Yep. So yeah. I guess it's people, humans then and now are just not consistent. You know, <laughs> there's always outliers and maybe because he was such a brute and so physically imposing that yeah. they just well, kind of said, you can do what you want. <laughs> we're, all, we're all scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> As well, they should be. Yeah, they should be. Well, he killed his first person when he was seven. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay. That was a lot of information about yes, these was. archaeological finds. And <laughs> thank you for, for going through that Neil Price book and, and finding some of this stuff. Yeah, really well, great. I've always been fascinated with those. I think in another life, if I if I could go back and be 20, I'd maybe study archaeology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too late for that now. But now I can I can just read about it. Look at pictures, exactly. look at pictures. <laughs> Next time we will be discussing the Norse, the undead, the Norse dread of the undead. (laughs) (laughs) They were so terrified of the undead. They They had, they they believed in werewolves and they believed in, you know, walking dead. So some of the stories that have come down in the ages actually originated, you know, in ancient Scandinavian times. Yeah. 
So that'll be fun. That will be our Halloween, October Halloween Absolutely. <laughs> fun dive into the undead and all that goes bump in the night. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, they were scared of those bumps. But mm-hmm. in, in typical Viking fashion, they did not mess around with our undead. They were horrifying. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> they weren't. Timid. That's true, and the cure for them was horrifying. Yes, too. I mean, there are several where they have an actual battle with the undead. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, and I will see you next time. Yep, next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find Johanna at johannawittenberg.com, where you'll find a free short story, a prequel to her Norse Queen series. And you can find me, KS, at ksbarton.com, where you can also find a free short story from me, a prequel to my Norse family series. See you next time.